Have a seat. I wonder how many of you remember from maybe it was church growing up or, or, or singing those old hymns, this, this particular hymn, do you remember singing, uh, what can wash away my sin, nothing but the blood of Jesus, and what can make me whole again, nothing but the blood of Jesus. And oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No other fount I know, nothing but the blood of Jesus. These are the words today that we need to keep in mind. These are the words that we need to cling to today as we look at these next chapters. In fact, these are the words we're going to have to cling to because as we navigate through these next chapters of Revelation 6 and 7, things get a little more difficult. Things that, that we don't particularly want to hear, things that are hard to hear, things that are hard to understand, things that are hard to explain begin to unfold. And so as we navigate these chapters together today, these are the words that are going to be important to keep in mind. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. And for those of you who who want to go deeper in this study, I recognize that we're not going to be able to cover everything, and you might have questions that I don't answer today. I want to encourage you to check out our resource page uh, at, this, at this site that has more information, more books, more articles, more things that you either at your personal chair time or in your small group can go deeper and hopefully answer some of the things that maybe I'm missing. In fact, stop out at our library after the service. There's a whole set of books out there all dedicated to this subject for you to check out if you desire to do so. But let me tell you a little bit about myself before we get going. This is something I don't share with people very often because it's a little embarrassing, but it's true. I am passionate about, I love children's literature. I, I don't know why I've always been drawn to children's literature. I love the creativity of, of Roald Dahl writing the BFG and George's Marvelous Medicine. I, I absolutely love how authors like Andrew Clemens can challenge students to go deeper than they ever expected was possible in books like Frindle. I love Hank the Cowdog. I have laughed out loud reading those stories to myself. They're hilarious. I, I love that, that Lois Lowry has been able to challenge me to think in ways I never thought was possible in a kid's book. And of course, there's all of our favorites like Jack London, The Call of the Wild, where he brings together love and adventure all in one place. They're incredible works of literature, kid books. And I wonder, what is your favorite story? Maybe, maybe your genre isn't children's literature. Maybe you enjoy some other genre of, of, of literature. But what, what is your favorite story? And I bet whatever it is that you like, all of our stories, they have something in common. There's good, and it's being challenged. There's always a struggle. There's always a bad guy. There's always an enemy. There's always evil threatening 
the good. That's what makes a great story. And that's why I love the stories I just told you about, because in those stories, the good always end up on top. The good always wins. The bad guy always is defeated. Evil is vanquished. And I love that. Now, when I say this, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that the Bible is some made-up children's novel. Not even close. I'm not suggesting that at all because this book is as real as it gets with consequences of life and death. And this book is a a much grander, bigger picture that that reflects, that encompasses a, a grander narrative that is all around us. Each and every person that has ever lived is, in, is, is impacted by the words of this book and the power that it has. And this is the story of Genesis in the beginning all the way to Revelation in the end. And here we are in 2021, somewhere in the middle of this story. And we know how the story begins, right? Because we know in the first two chapters of Genesis is perfect. Everything is how it should be. Creation, relationships, it is all perfect. But then something happens. And we know that sin comes into the world. And it breaks that perfection. But I'm encouraged because I also know what the last two chapters of Revelation say. And that is when God brings back all of, all of creation is restored. All of that original design is brought back to how it should be, how we long for it to be. But we're not there yet. We still live in a world where, yes, there's much good, but that good is being constantly challenged by evil. And we don't have to work real hard to see this. It's all around us. We all experience this on a daily basis. And I think oftentimes, either vocally out loud or at least in our hearts, we all wonder the same thing that the psalmist and many other authors of Scripture have wondered when they pray and and say things like this, Oh Lord, how long will you forget me? Forever? How, how long will you look the other way? How long must I struggle with my anguish and my soul, my sorrow and my heart every day? How long will my enemy have the upper hand? How long? We've all asked this question. Lord, how long until good finally triumphs over evil? How long, Lord? And it's the book of Revelation chapter 6 that begins to reveal that evil will come to an end under the authority and the power of Jesus Christ at his appointed time. It's coming. And so John is commissioned to write this, uh, these seven churches to share with them this glorious news. And this is for churches of every age, including the chapel, including you and I. But certain things must happen first. So last week, in chapters 4 and 5, we saw that John, John saw a scroll rolled up with seven seals on it. And the scrolls contained the full story of what God has in store for the world before his kingdom can be completely realized here on earth. And each of these seven seals are opened by Jesus one at a time. And each seal represents devastating judgment 
from God against a world that has turned its back on him. And so what we're going to see unfold in these chapters is what the prophets spoke of as the day of our Lord. What we're about to see unfold in these chapters is, is what Jesus said would happen in Matthew chapter 24. He said, there will be sorrow, but, but that is not the end. That is not the end, because remember, what can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. And what can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. So with that in mind, let's dive into this chapter 6. It's here, it begins. Jesus Christ has a scroll in hand and he opens it. And this is what it says. It says, as I watched, the lamb broke the first of the seven seals on the scroll. Then I heard one of the four living beings say with a voice like thunder, Come. I looked up and saw a white horse standing there. Its rider carried a bow and a crown was placed on his head. He rode out to win many battles and gain the victory. This is the first of four horsemen that we will see. This, these are the four horsemen of the apocalypse. And here we see a crack of thunder and a mighty voice saying, Come, because God calls them to come. And this first horse is is one that is white, and one would naturally think, hey, a good guy riding on a white horse. In fact, some teach that this, this rider is, is Jesus Christ himself. Since in chapter 19, Jesus rides in on a white horse like Gandalf. But this rider that he speaks of, it seems to embody truly what Jesus warned about. In Matthew chapter 24, there's deception. There's counterfeit Christs. It's likely that, that this writer could be the Antichrist himself. You know, God has used the world's opposition to truth against itself. We get hints of this all around us today of the coming of the white horse. There's a spirit of deception around us that, that leads people away from the true gospel of Jesus Christ. And it's interesting that this writer, he carries a bow, but, but there's, no, there's no arrows. Because this writer, he promises peace, but that peace is, is deceptive. It's a lie because here comes war. Check out the next two verses in Revelation, it says, When the Lamb broke the second seal, I heard the second living being say, Come. Then another horse appeared, a red one. And its rider was given a mighty sword and the authority to take peace from the earth. And there was war and slaughter everywhere. A rider on a vivid red horse carrying a mighty sword can only mean one thing. It can only mean war is coming. Here we are the 4th of July, we, we, where we celebrate and we commemorate a, a, a day when we won our independence through war. We have been in wars before and, and there are many wars around the world today. It is not abnormal. God has used nations and armies as his tools for judgment in the past and he will do it again. There will be war. And then John goes on to share the third seal. 
He says, when the lamb broke the third seal, I heard the third living being say, come. And I looked up and saw a black horse. Its rider was holding a pair of scales in his hand. And I heard a voice from among the four living beings say, a loaf of wheat bread or three loaves of barley will cost a day's pay. And don't waste the olive oil and wine. You know, a close companion of war is famine. Where people are hungry, where there is famine, there's all sorts of conflict. Famine brings chaos. Famine brings corruption. You know, we complain about paying $3 for a gallon of gas. This says a loaf of wheat bread will cost a day's pay. I don't know how much money you make, but that's a lot of money for a loaf of bread. We will see famine and hunger like never before. In fact, if you were to just to travel with one of our teams to, to Burundi or, or any of the sub-Saharan African nations, you would see hunger like you've never seen before. You would see people who were, who were struggling from malnutrition and, and brand new ways that you have never experienced in your life. And when this black horse rider arrives, he will bring with him famine and it will be everywhere for all people, unselective. Gosh, so I have to remind myself, again, what can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. I remember this as we look at the fourth seal that's open. John says, when the lamb broke the fourth seal, I heard the fourth living being say, come. I looked up and saw a horse whose color was pale green. Its rider was named Death, and his companion was the grave. These two were given authority over one-fourth of the earth to kill with the sword and famine and disease and wild animals. You know, this fourth horse color is pale green, an interesting color, one of decomposition, of death. And we know death claims the body, but this companion, the grave, it claims the soul. And it's easy as we read this to just glance over some of the facts like one-fourth of the earth. But let that sink in for a minute because when I Google how many people live on the earth, it tells me a little less than 8 billion people live on the earth today. 8 billion. One-fourth of that is almost 2 billion people dying. Two billion people. And and as these judgments intensify, even more will die from the sword and disease and famine and wild animals. So see, we see with the first of these seals opened, we see these four horsemen of the apocalypse, they're leaving leaving destruction. They're leaving devastation and death in their wake. So I'm so grateful that we come to the fifth seal. Fifth seal is, is a little different that Jesus opens. It, it, it gives us a chance to reflect a little bit, to just give us some perspective. Now listen to the fifth seal, what happens. As the lamb broke the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of all who had been martyred for the word of God and for being faithful in their testimony. And they shouted to the Lord and said, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, hear what they ask. How long? 
before you judge the people who belong to this world and avenge our blood for what they have done to us. Then a white robe was given to each of them and they were told to rest a little longer until the full number of their brothers and sisters, their fellow servants of Jesus who were to be martyred, had joined them. You see these people asking the same question the psalmist asked and the same question that you and I ask. Lord, how long? How long until you until you cast your judgment on them? How long until you avenge us? And the ones asking this question, they are the ones who have stayed true to God's word and they have suffered the ultimate consequences because they are the martyrs under the altar, which means they have unashamedly and bravely followed Jesus Christ through it all and they have died as a result. But I love it, it says they are given white robes. These robes symbolize honor. They symbolize dignity. They symbolize victory. Even more important than those things, they symbolize a right standing with God. These people, they want vindication. No surprise, we all want vindication. And God promises to do just that, but according to His timetable. You know, this fifth seal, if it does nothing else for us, then I love the fact that it reminds us of this one thing, that there is no suffering, there is no hurt, there is no pain that you ever will face in the name of Jesus that is overlooked. There is no suffering or pain or hurt that you will ever face in the name of Jesus that doesn't go unrewarded or or unavenged. He will see it all. I'm so grateful for that. And so it reminds me once again, sing, Lord, what can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Remember that as we go to the sixth seal. And it's cracked open. We're back to reality. We're back to earth here. And it says this, that as I watched the lamb broke the sixth seal and there was a great earthquake. The sun became as dark as black cloth and the moon became as red as blood and the stars of the sky fell to the earth like green figs falling from a tree shaken by a strong wind. The sky was rolled up like a scroll and all of the mountains and islands were moved from their places. I wonder, have you ever been in an earthquake? And I'm not talking about a little mid-Ohio earthquake rumbler like when the quarry blasts. I'm talking about an honest-to-goodness, Richter-scale-worthy earthquake. They are scary, and they are destructive. And, and, and here in Scripture, we see that earthquakes tend to accompany God's judgment. And this isn't just any normal earthquake. This is a complete cosmic meltdown that will affect everyone regardless of who is who all will feel this shake and so chapter 6 comes to a close it says then everyone the kings of the earth the rulers the generals the wealthy the powerful every slave every free person they all hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains and they cried to the mountains and the rocks fall on us and hide us 
from the face of the one who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come. And who is able to survive? And the answer to that question is no one. Regardless of power or position or or possessions, wealthy and poor alike, none can escape or hide from the devastating, awesome judgment of God. What's interesting about this, and we're going to share more about this next week, is that these people chose death, but they still didn't choose God. These people were asking for death, but they refused to ask for God. And we're going to see in these chapters from 6 through 18 that the judgments of God intensify, the rejection of God intensifies here. And so I have to remember, I have to remind myself once again that what can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. And I remind myself because I've heard some people that have said, you know what, Revolution, Revelation is just a book that does nothing but, but enforces fear and fright. And I get that because the things we read in these chapters, they are scary, they are frightful, but I must say this is not the end of the story. There is hope And I want to show you exactly what I mean. In fact, let's look at these last words of Revelation chapter 6 once again where he asks the question, who is able to survive? In fact, some versions say, who can stand? And in the next chapter 7, it's like an interlude before the seventh seal's broken. And the seventh chapter gives us an answer to who can stand. And that answer is, for those who are in Christ Jesus, they will stand. For those who have the righteousness of Christ, they will stand. For those who believe and have given their lives to following Jesus, they will stand. It's for those who have believed in their heart and confessed with their mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, they will stand. For them, there is hope. And chapter 7 shows us As it begins with John seeing these four angels stretched out across the four corners of the earth and they're about to release even further judgment. But then a fifth angel shows up and says to not harm them. Listen to what happens here. It says, wait, don't harm the land or the sea or the trees until we have placed the seal of God on the forehead of the servants. The seal of God, this is contrary to the mark of the beast that we're going to look at later in Revelation. This seal keeps the servants of God safe from judgment. In fact, John hears a number of those sealed. And it goes on to say, I heard how many were marked with the seal of God. 144,000 were sealed from the tribes of Israel. Now, we're not going to dive into this too far because truthfully, there's about 144,000 ideas as to what this number means. And it would be impossible to go into all of them, but let me tell you what I think. I think it would seem 
that either literally or, or symbolically, these are, are Jewish people who have finally turned to Jesus as their Savior, and now they are witnesses for Christ in the tribulation. And this seal is, is placed on their forehead as either, as either symbolic or real. And although it won't keep them safe from physical death at all, their souls will be protected and safe. Because they have the righteousness of God. The book of Revelation is not a book of fear for those of us who have put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ as our Savior. No, 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 this is not about fear. This is about hope. Because if you are in Christ, your soul is going to be eternally with God. That is the hope we have. And so in chapter 7, John's attention, it, it switches from the 144,000 to a new vision. And it's, and it's a heavenly vision of, of a great number that he can't even count. In fact, this is what he says. After this, I saw a vast crowd, too great to count from every nation and tribe and people and language, standing in front of the throne and before the Lamb. They were clothed in white robes and held palm branches in their hands. He's saying, look, people from every nation, every language, every people group, every tribe, they were all standing before God and the Lamb. And they're all wearing white robes and they are praising Him for their salvation, because they are with Jesus. They are with the Lamb, our God, our Lord, our Savior, our King. Can you imagine? And in this vision, someone asked John, well, who are the ones clothed in white? And in answer to the question, he says, those are the ones who died in the great tribulation. They have washed their robes in the blood of the Lamb that has made them white. So we sing, Oh, precious is the flow that makes them white as snow. No other fount I know is nothing but the blood of Jesus. I love this quote. It's from Billy Graham, and he says this. He said, someday you're going to read that Billy Graham is dead. Don't you believe a word of it? I shall be more alive than I am now, and I will just have changed my address. Yes, I will go on into the presence of the Lord. Billy Graham knew, and he understood this hope that we have. This hope that, that is laid out clearly at the end of chapter 7 when it says this, And he who sits on the throne will give them shelter, and they will never again be hungry or thirsty. They will never be scorched by the heat of the sun. For the Lamb on the throne will be their shepherd. He will lead them to springs of life-giving water, and God will wipe every tear from their eyes. You know, many people teach that the church will be uh, uh, raptured before the seven-year tribulation. And yet there are some that teach that, that the church will go through the tribulation. I, I don't know. I don't think anyone really knows for sure. But what we can know for sure is that it's coming. And what I do know for sure that I can say with certainty right now is that from chapter 7, and, and truly from the rest of the Bible, 
as servants of God, if you have the righteousness of Christ because you trust in Jesus, then, then you have the seal of God on your forehead. That is, you belong to God. So regardless of what comes your way, maybe it's death. Maybe it's disease, maybe it's famine, maybe it's persecution. I don't know, but I can tell you not one thing will touch your soul because you will belong to God and you will be with Him for eternity. As servants of God, if you have the righteousness of Christ because you trust in Jesus, then one day you and I will be in the mix of all of those clothed in white, surrounding the throne of God, worshiping our Savior. We will be in that mix. Because regardless of what you go through, hardships, troubles, big and small, one day for eternity, Revelation chapter 7 tells us we will never again be hungry. Never again thirst. No more tears. And that can only be because of the shed blood and the finished work of Jesus Christ. So I say, what can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Jesus has taken the judgment that we deserve on his shoulders. And he's gone to the cross for you and me. That coming judgment cannot touch the souls of the believers and followers of Jesus Christ. It is your belief then it's my belief in Jesus and our choice to follow Him that has washed our sins away and made us white as snow. In God's eyes, we have the righteousness of Christ. So I tell you, this is about hope, not fear. Because I know God has already won And so with that said, I I wonder if you would, this morning, take your communion elements you received. And if you got through the door without getting one, just put up your hand. We have someone that will will run you one. And and I would say, please peel that top layer back, that clear layer. And as you do, may, may we never forget In fact, it is good to remember, it is good to give thanks, it is good to celebrate. That is the exact reason why Paul writes these words when he says, I pass on to you what I received from the Lord himself. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread and he gave thanks to God for it. He broke it in pieces and said, this is my body which is given for you. Do this to remember me. And so Lord, we remember this morning with vividness, what you have done. We thank you for your sacrifice. We thank you that through you, but we will be with you forever. Thank you, Lord, for this great love. We love you. Amen. Let's take that together. And then if you would, peel back that second layer. Just be careful when you do. And as you do, Paul goes on to say, in the same way, 
He took a cup of wine after supper, saying, This cup is a new covenant between God and His people, an agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this to remember me as often as you drink it. For every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are announcing the Lord's death until He comes again. Lord Jesus, not only do we remember today what You have done, but Lord, I'm reminded of of Your promises and what is to come. And we're grateful. We give you thanks. We give you praise. The one who is worthy. In your name I pray. Amen. Let's take this together. And I think it only fitting that maybe we would stand together. And let's close remembering these words. Let's sing this with Meg. So remember, remember those words and those truths as you leave today. And so, a grace, grace and peace to you from the one who is, who always was, and who is still to come. Have a great day. See you next week.